This podcast is brought to you by Pastor David Swan of Faith Christian Family Church in Clovis, New Mexico. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Thank you. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. I guess you guys know that you, Pastor Stormy and Shelly are on their way to Israel. So uh, Roxanne and I had the privilege years ago to go to Israel. It just really affected my uh, perspective on distances and places and things. Had had a tremendous experience in Israel. So you guys, when you think about it, pray for him. It's, and, and Shelly and and Matt and Amanda, they're all, it's what a great experience for them. Let's do this before we get into scriptures. Let's pray. Let's do that. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we're so grateful for your goodness. Speak to every heart today. We open ourselves up to you, Lord. Talk to us through the scriptures. Holy Spirit, any whispers, anything you want to say to us, we're open to it. Download your wisdom inside of us, Lord. Thank you, Father, and bless Pastor Stormy and Shelley and Matt and Amanda and the whole team that are going over to Israel. Bless them coming and going. Bless their time in Israel. Let them have the greatest experiences, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for talking to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so glad uh, that Pastor Stormy asked me to come speak, and I'm just honored to be here. If you guys got your Bibles, go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. And uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about your destiny and uh, your inheritance in Christ, that we all have an inheritance. We all have good things that, that God wants to do in us and that he wants to do through us and he wants to do for us. And so uh, let's start with chapter eight. I'm gonna read, uh, and starting in verse 15, I'm gonna read from a translation that may be not familiar to everyone, but it's called the Passion Translation. It's one of my favorite devotional translations to read where I and so this scripture to me is one of the the this is the best translation of, of these two passages that we're going to read but here in Romans 8 look look with me at verse 15 they're going to have this translation on the screen behind me verse 15 says this you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the spirit or, or leading you back into the fear of never being good enough you know, that's one of the fears that all of us wrestle with is that we're never good enough. And you know why we do that is because every one of us have sinned. We all understand that we've been, that, that sin flawed our lives and, and our yielding to sin and transgressions and rebellion. But aren't you glad God said he forgives us of everything we've ever done wrong? And not only forgives us, but forgets it all. Now think about that, that he forgets it so he doesn't look at us as we used to be, you know, and, and I always like to say this, that as Christians, we're not sinless. We just sin less than we used to. How many are glad you, that someone in your family is sinning less than they used to? Come on. I mean, just think about that. It's pretty amazing. So one of the things about the Lord is the Lord doesn't lead us back into this feeling of trying to gain approval from God. We have his love. We have his acceptance. So we're not going to live under this, this fear of never being good enough. But you've received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. Every one of us that are, have received Jesus as our Savior, every one of us has been enfolded into the family of God. We're part of a big family. 
a huge family, multi-generational, multi-culture, multi-race, multi-language. I mean, we're in this huge, incredible family. It's like this one guy said on the airplane, he was flying and this person said, what do you do? And he said, I work for this multi-faceted organization. She said, really? Like, what, what's your organization you're into? And he said, oh, we build hospitals. We build colleges. We build schools. We build orphanage. Man. We, we build the biggest gathering places in all the communities, not only of, of, of America, but all over the world. She said, well, what, what group are you with? He said, I'm part of the family of God. So we're part of huge. We're, what you guys are a part of is a lot, a lot, a lot larger than right here. We're part of all the family of God in heaven and on earth. Huge. So we've been enfolded in the family of God. We have full acceptance. Everybody say, I'm fully accepted by God himself. Everybody smile. You're fully accepted. Now, you know what I've noticed? And, you know, Roxanne and I have pastored the same church for 38 years. We're in our 39th year uh, of pastoring. And what I found is that if there's such a presence of evil in our world, but as Christians, we get the evil pulled out of us. Thank God we don't have evil in us any longer. We have the goodness of God that's come on us. But what I've found is that a lot of times, if there's not the presence of evil, then there's the absence of good. That we need a lot of good happening in us, happening for us, happening to us, happening in our families. Because out of the goodness of God that we receive, we can share the goodness of God. We can distribute the goodness of God. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 23, he said, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of our life. That the, the trail that we leave should be a trail of the goodness and kindness of God. So this morning, I'm just going to inundate you guys with the goodness of God. Is that all right? How many say I'm ready? Everybody say, my name is Freddie and I'm ready, right? I'm ready for all. Or you could say, I'm Jimmy and I'll take all you'll give me, right? Give me the goodness of God. So he says, we've received the spirit of full acceptance enfolded into the family of God. Then he says this, you'll never feel orphaned. That feeling of being orphaned or left alone is never from God because we are his family. Amen. We don't need to receive that orphan spirit or that feeling of being orphaned. For he rises within us in our spirits. Our spirits join with him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you, yeah, you are God's beloved. Everybody say, I receive it. Everybody say, I'm God's beloved. Everybody say, God really loves me. Do you know, I'm telling you, if you struggle saying that, it's because religion has tried to wear you down. Life has tried to wear you down. People have told you, shame on you, shame, shame on you. And every one of us have made poor decisions. But aren't you glad we learn from our poor decisions? We repent of our poor decisions. And then we grow and we develop and we say, man, I'm not going down that way anymore. That's a dead-end street. I'm going I'm to go down a path that leads to life. Okay, let's read on now. So, the Holy Spirit whispers into our innermost being, you're God's beloved child. 17. Hope you didn't wear your religious clothes this morning. I hope, hope you wore your shouting clothes. 17 says, and since we are his true children, 
we qualify. We qualify for what? To share. Share in what? All his treasures. You qualify. Yeah, but pastor, I don't feel, I don't feel qualified. Well, that's okay. Doesn't matter how you feel. You're qualified. Since you're a true child of God, since you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're a true child of God. He's your beloved father. You're his beloved child. And you qualify to share. Share what? All of his treasures. What, what are his treasures? Read on with me. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Jesus, joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is. Now think about that. You and I, because of our connection, that we didn't just get a new start or a new beginning, we got a new birth. Jesus became our Lord and Savior, and we were born again. Because of this new birth, we share in the family of God. And part of our inheritance, gang, is to actually share in all that he is. We get to gain his personality. And the rest of our life, we live down here taking on the likeness of Jesus, taking on more and more of his likeness to show to the world, to show to our families that our families need God's patience, that God's been patient with me so I can be patient with my children. God's been patient with me so I can be patient with my wife. The Lord's forgiven me much. So I'm going to forgive much rather than holding people. Yeah, but pastor, they did wrong. Obviously, the only reason people need forgiveness is if they've blown it. And we are not only givers, but we are forgivers of humanity. Can I hear an amen? Isn't it wonderful that we can forgive people? Lord Jesus, I forgive them. I forgive my enemies. I forgive those people that despitefully use me. I forgive those people that gossip about me. We're, we inherit what? All he is. We inherit all he is, gang. Think about that. All he is is yours. Then it says all he has. We not only inherit what he is and who he is, we take on the, we take on the nature of our father, our heavenly father, but we also have access to all he has. That God is not withholding any good thing from us. Psalm 84, 11 says, God will not withhold from us. Come on now, think about it. God's not withholding from you. You're right there in chapter, well, let me finish this. It says that we inherit all he is, all he has, and we will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. So in the backdrop of all of his, all your inheritance is always suffering. We're always, because we live in this life, we're going to suffer on a level. There's just suffering. I mean, crud, you can't live in life and not suffer somewhat. The sufferings that Jesus suffered, the rejection, the criticism, the persecution. But aren't you glad we also get to share in the inheritance? Not only in this life, but also in the life to come. Now, you're right there in chapter 8. Go to verse 32. Now, this, is a, this will rock you. So we're, we're, we inherit all he is and all he has. In, in uh, Romans 8, 32, it says this. This is the New Living Translation. Since he, God, did not spare even his own son, God didn't spare Jesus, but gave him up for us all so all of us could be saved. Watch this now. Won't he also give us everything else? 
So let me help you see this, that God gave us the greatest single gift he could give us, and that's his son. If he didn't spare Jesus, who's the greatest, will he not freely give us everything else that would be a sub point to the greatness of Jesus? Nothing in life could be greater than receiving Jesus. How many of you are glad you received Jesus? Kind of wave your hand in the air like that. Come on, testify. You're glad you got Jesus. Can I tell you what? If he didn't spare him from your life, then he won't spare any other resource that you need to do his work, to do his will in your life. Now, I was struggling. I pastored for 10 years. The Lord dealt with me to go back to my hometown where I, where I was raised, and I didn't want to go because I'd done so much sinful things there. And I said, Lord, send me to somewhere, you know, where I don't have a bad reputation. Send me somewhere where I can start off and be a good boy. And I, I was like, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to do that. And he said, that's where I want you to go. So I went, and Roxanne and I have been there 10 years. We'd never broken about 120, 550 people in attendance in our church. And so I was frustrated. I mean, it wasn't like I had done it for one year and was frustrated. I'd done it for 10. And, and in my thinking, in my reasoning, I said, man, I've, I, you know, I'd heard the statement from John Maxwell that everything rises and falls on leadership. That was not a happy, that was not a happy revelation because the church hadn't risen beyond me. I was the lid and I was holding it down. And I was like, Lord, I've done all I know to do. Bring somebody else in here. Now, I didn't want to leave the ministry. I love the ministry. I mean, I, you don't do something for 38 years that you don't love. And I'm, I'm still amazed that he trusts me to love people and serve people. I mean, I'm, I'm just blown away. I, I'm, I'm just grateful I'm still in the game after 38 years. And we're kicking rear today. 10 years ago, we weren't. The, the most people I saw get saved in, in a year were about 10. We average over 10 people getting saved a day. Come on, somebody. But I mean, I was suffering. I mean, I didn't see people get saved. I, I wasn't seeing that in the church. And, and so I was saying to the Lord, Lord, get somebody else in here. And so uh, I wrote all the reasons down why I needed to leave Clovis. I had destination disease. I thought if I could go somewhere else, I could succeed. Yeah. That my problem was where I was at. I was, you know, it's these people you've given me, God. They're just not wanting to move. They're not wanting to move and shake. They're not wanting to trust you. They're wanting to believe you. And so the Lord dealt with me and said, no, I don't want you to leave Clovis. I want you to stay there. He said, I'm going to give you five reasons. I said, why, Lord, do you want me to stay? He said, I'm going to give you five reasons you never thought of. And he gave him the first one he gave me, he said, at the end of this year, your people are going to need you. Clovis is a military community, and so we have a lot of Air Force in our church. This was March of 1990. He said, by the end of the year, he said, the military will be in a war, and they're going to need you. And I'm like, wow. How many of you know God will show you things to come? Holy Spirit will say, so he, that was one of the reasons he gave me four others. One of the five reasons he said, for yourself. He said, I'll bless you wherever you go to represent me. But he said, I want you to stay here because there's a special blessing that can only happen to your life if you'll stay here and obey me. Four of them were for other people, four reasons to stay. One was for me. So the conversation went on and I said, well, Lord, I said, first of all, I don't, in 1990, I thought Jesus was coming back in the 90s. Some of you guys are too young to remember, but man, I mean, I, the sense I had was, man, the Lord's coming back in the 90s. And I said to him, I said, Lord, I'll have, I'll have not done anything significant for you. You leave me in Clovis. I, how am I going to build a big church? 
that reaches the city, that reaches people, that helps people. I said, Lord, I want to I I see something great happen. And, and he said to me, he said, if you'll just obey me and do what I say. He said, if you don't build a great church where lots of people are getting, giving their hearts to Jesus and a lot of eternal life. He said, if you will obey me, he said, when you get into eternity, I'll reward you as if you did something really great. Because in the kingdom of God, the matrix of success is obedience. So the Lord said, I'll, I'll view you and deal with you like you're a success if you just obey me. So first thing did, all of a sudden I relaxed and I was like, wow, I just need to obey God. I know it's, I know that's a, quite a revelation, but that's all he said. You just obey me. And then he said, secondly, he said, I want you to quit praying like you've been praying about church. And I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, he said, you pray in unbelief. He says, not that you're not praying, but you pray like, come on, Lord, help build the church. Come on, Lord. I want to see people get saved. Come on, Lord. He said, your, your prayers are like you're dragging me in, trying to pull me in to get interested. And he said, the church was my thought, not your thought. He said, I called you. You didn't call me. He said, this was my idea before you were ever born. Then he said something to me that was huge, that literally changed my thinking. He said, I want the church to grow a thousand times more than you want it. He said, as high as your desire is, multiply that times 1,000. He said, I want the church to grow a thousand times more than you. I want to see people get saved a thousand times more than you do. He said, from this day forward, never talk to me like I'm withholding from you. I never did again. So I started praying like this. Oh God, we got church today. This is your house. These are your people. These are your saved, saved ones. And the ones that are not saved, Lord, bring them in. Cause them to come in by the droves. We want to see thousands of people come to Christ. And between Clovis, Lubbock, Roswell, Albuquerque, Claremore, Oklahoma, Dallas, Texas, pastors that have come out of the church in Clovis that are pastoring all over this region, we've seen 300,000 people come to Christ. And, and I'm 60, but baby, I just got my feet under me, man. I'm ready to go now. I'm asking God for another 42 years to kick the devil in the teeth. I mean, we just figured it out. Why, why quit now, man? We got it going, baby. We had 6,000 people on Easter Sunday. We had 500 people get saved in one weekend. Children, teenagers, and adults. Is anybody in this house happy? Now, my prayer is from my story, you're catching your story. Quit talking to God like he's not interested. Quit talking to God like you got to drag him in. You are an heir of all he is and all he has. I tell, I tell people that are, that are addicted to different things, drugs, alcohol, pornography, uh, you name it. Our world is inundated with addiction. But you don't get free 
telling me what you don't want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to drink again. I don't want to do drugs again. I don't, I don't want to beat my wife. I don't want to beat my children. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to get angry anymore. I don't want to, well, that's wonderful that you don't want to. But NASCAR taught us and teaches its drivers that when they're driving at 175 miles an hour and they're going around a corner and the centrifugal force is drawing them toward the wall, they teach them, do not look at the wall and say, I don't want to hit the wall. I don't want to hit the wall. I don't want to hit the wall because you're about to hit the wall. They teach them to look to the recovery point, to the inside of the track, and where their mind and their eyes go, their car will lean toward that. If you say what you don't want, I don't want to be addicted to drugs. That's good, but that's not a place you can stay because you'll say, I don't, want, I don't want to do drugs anymore. I don't want it. And if we judged your sincerity, your sincerity is at the top, but you will sincerely hit the wall again. You got to look to the recovery point. You got to say, God is for me and not against me. God's not, God's not wanting me to be in that. Yes. So I believe, I believe that I qualify. I believe that God's will is for me to live free of those drugs. Look to freedom. I got to get back. I'm preaching too much. Woo-hoo. Everybody say, I like it. So this couple comes in, this couple comes into my office recently in the last couple of years. And they say, Pastor, we're trying to get pregnant. We want to get pregnant. We spent $10,000 on in vitro. The, we, we want a child. We, we don't have any kids. We want a child. And we're not sure why God's holding out on us. Unbelief. God wants a thousand times more than you want it. Unbelief. If you ever talk to God like he's holding out on you, as sincere as you are, you're sincerely wrong. Because God is for you. If God be for you, who can be against you? If God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for each one of us to be saved, will he not freely give, him, give each one of us anything else that we need? So in my mind, when they said God's holding out on me, I immediately went to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and said, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply. Replenish the earth. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And Malachi said, I want out of your relationship, husband and wife, I want to bear godly seed. I want godly seed. So God wants us to have children. It's God's will for you to have children. So they're sitting there telling me, I don't know why God's holding out. And I'm sitting there as a pastor thinking, can they handle the truth? Because see, a lot of Christians, they want to, uh, you know, pat them on the back and do a little kumbaya. They're not really wanting the truth. They're wanting a, a rubber stamp on what they're doing. They don't want the facts. They don't want the will of God. They don't want the perfect will of God. They don't want to be told, you are in unbelief. Now, I mean, we're dealing with each other privately. It's, I don't have to get loud like that. I just looked at them and said, do you really want help? Do you really want me to help you? And they said, we want you to help us, Pastor. I said, you're both in unbelief. Your prayers can't be heard and your prayers can't be answered because you're not praying in faith. You're, you're treating God like he's holding out on you. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you're hearing. The Lord's trying to help you. The reason your prayers, though many prayed, few received. Because many prayed hoping. Many prayed wishing. Many prayed desiring. And then they get frustrated because no answers. And I said to them, I said, listen, y'all are in unbelief. And they said, help us. We don't even understand. See, unbelief is sneaky. It was sneaky with me. I didn't know I was praying, talking to God like, come on, God. Come on, God. Come on, Lord. Come on. Help us win souls. Help us build the church. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. And in my sincerity, I was sincerely wrong. And he looked at me and said, I don't ever want to hear another prayer like that. I went to India, and I'm preaching to 
thousands of people and dealing with thousands of pastors. And they look at me and they said, why are you having a move of God? How are you having people getting saved? How are you doing this? And I said, well, man, I'm just, I'm, we're just praying. And they lifted up what they, what they're, they're, these men wear these skirts and they, and they call them doties. They lifted up their legs like this and their knees were deformed and the tops of their shins were calloused and their feet. And they said, we pray hours a day. I felt little. I think, Lord, how, how, how little I devote myself to prayer. How little do I give myself to prayer? These men are praying. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, yeah, they're praying just like you did. And they're talking to me just like you did. Wondering why things aren't happening. Wondering when I, I, I wanted a thousand. I'm more interested in seeing them reach people, touch people, bring eternal life to people. And then once they receive eternal life, begin to walk in abundant life. Come on, somebody. So I looked at him and I had to tell him the same thing I told this young couple. You are in unbelief. Jesus corrected his disciples moreover unbelief than any other single thing. Now listen to me. I looked at them and said, they said, how are we in unbelief? And I told them, I said, you're talking to God like he's holding out. I said, talk to him like this. Lord, I know you want this. Lord, I know you want this more than we want. We want a child. You want us to have children. You want us to bear godly seed. Lord, we commit ourselves. We'll, be our, we'll do the best that we can as parents. You lead us. Holy Spirit, help us. And we'll raise our children in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. Lord, help us. Help us. I said, talk to him like he wants it more than you want it. They said, he looked at me, the husband, you know, kind of blinked like a, to- a toad frog in a Texas hailstorm. And he got it. He looked at me and said, man, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I said, yeah, sneaky. They went and prayed. God's my witness. In one month, she was pregnant. First time. They have a baby. That baby, they bear the little girl. They dress her up. She comes to church. Every time I see her, I said, there's the little miracle baby, the faith baby. There's the faith baby. And mom and dad are like, you know what? They got number two. Come on, somebody. The doctor said she couldn't do it. She had number one, and now she's got number two on the way, in her belly, in the oven. Okay. Everybody say, God is willing. My inheritance. Say it. My inheritance is all that God is and all that God has. Y'all are blessed. That's why any of you that are dealing with addictions, listen to me. Your inheritance is freedom. Your inheritance is partaking of the divine nature of God. Your inheritance is strength, not weakness. Your inheritance is strong. Your inheritance is courageous. Your inheritance is possessing the land. Your inheritance is possessing the promises of God. Okay, go with me to Psalm 16. I got to go fast. Oh, Lordy, I'm preaching too much. Okay. Psalm 16. Let's go to verse 5. This is the Passion Translation. The psalmist said this, Lord, I've chosen you alone as my inheritance. You're my inheritance, Lord. You are my prize, my pleasure, my portion. I leave my destiny and its timing in your hands. Come on, somebody. Now, let me just tell you this real quick. Let me tell you this real quick. Psalm 139, verse 16. The psalmist said this, Before I was ever born, there was a book written about my life. Every day was laid out. Every moment was laid out. Do you guys realize before you guys were ever here on the earth, God knew you were coming. 
The Bible says that God is, that God, that, that God was, that God is, and God is to come. Do you understand that God lives in three, three dimensions all at one time? The reason he knows about your future, he's there. The reason he knows about 2025, guess what? He's there. Did you know he knew about 2019, March? Because he was there before the foundation of the world. God was there. He is, he was, and he is to come. He, he understands it all. So he laid out this book for your life, your destiny. The psalmist, the same, the, the, the same writer of 16 is the same writer of 139. It's King David. He said, Lord, you knew my future. You understand the future better than I can even comprehend the past. Now listen to me. He said, I leave my destiny in your hands. Now, understand this, because people ask this, why is all this cruddy stuff happening to me? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, God lays out every day of your life in a book. It's already been written about you, because he's already in your future. He knows all about it. He wrote about it. Then, then he gives us free will. Every one of us in this room, we have free will. We can say no to God anytime we want. No. God says, would you forgive them? Forgive them, because I forgave you so much. No, Lord, they, they hurt me too deeply. I'm never going to forgive them. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Just not going to do it. Quit dealing with me about it. I'm not going to forgive them. Can I tell you something? You're stuck. When you get that way and you become resistant to God's will and what God's dealing with your heart about, you get stuck. Can I tell you something? He won't talk to you about anything else until you get that straightened up. People ask me, man, it's been, it's been two years since the Lord's led my life. I can tell you what's happened. You're in, you're in unforgiveness or disobedience. What do you mean? The last direction he gave you, you you've been a hard head. You're you're like a goat. You got a you got a hard head, like my dad says, and a stinking rear. Yeah, that's what that's what a goat is. A goat's hard headed, and and you know what? I, I'm I'm not pointing my finger at you. I've been there too. I gotten stuck. The Lord said, He said the reason it's called a root of bitterness is because the root is underground. You can't see it, and He said. A lot of people think, oh, they're just good little Christians and they're doing all this and they're doing all that. They don't know underground there's a root of unforgiveness inside of you that you're unwilling to forgive your mother-in-law. You're unwilling to forgive your spouse. You're unwilling to forgive your children. Your children broke your heart and you got twisted at them and you've held them in unforgiveness and you think it's affecting them, but it's making you bitter. Your life is soured. Your life is worse. Your life is bad. Because remember, unforgiveness is eating the poison and waiting for someone else to fall over dead. Let it go. Let them go. Our free will is on top of these books. And if you get out of the free, using your free will and you choose against God, you step off the path that, he's, that he has for your life. Now, here's the cool thing. You can repent and get back on path. You can get back into the middle of it. King David said this, it said about him when he died. Said when he died, he went to his grave full of days. What that means is he lived days, many, many days of his life in the perfect will of God. He died at 70, but he did more in his 70 years than many people who lived into their hundreds could ever live because he lived in obedience and he lived in compliance with God's perfect will. For Think about it. When he's 17, he defeats Goliath. Don't you know that was in his book? Shema, Lama, Ding, Dong. I mean, here is something happening good. And David's like, whoa, I'm living out of the books, baby. Whoa! Bringing Goliath's head and shaking it in front of everybody. Don't you see a 17-year-old man kills Goliath when all the other guys won't even face him? 
And he's holding up the head. Won't let it go. Give us the head. No, I'm holding on. Days, he's walking around. Is there anybody in the room that can shout? I got Goliath's head. Everybody's happy about the sword. No, I got his head. The sword cut that head off. But you know what? David's life was one successive struggle, contradiction, contest, and he was contending all of his life. But in all your contending, gang, you're moving in. God wants you to be an overcomer. God doesn't want you to be a victim of life. Life reigns on all of us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the key is that you walk through, get on through. Though you're so close to death, shadows of death are on you. You're so near the spirit of death that it shadows on you, but you go, low. though I walk through this valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. So many people want testimonies. The problem is to get one, you got to have a test. Most of us don't want the test. We want the testimony. Most of us want the blessing. We don't want the sacrifice. Most of us want the goodness of God, but we don't want the character of God. But can I tell you, you can have it all because it's your inheritance. Everybody says it's my inheritance. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I got to go. Okay. Verse 6, 16, 6. Your, plaza, your pleasant path leads me to pleasant places. Can I tell you the path of God that he has you on? If you'll, if you'll just comply, if you'll follow, you'll be a good follower. Get in the rhythm of obedience. Get in the rhythm of following God. Get in the rhythm of saying, God's not withholding from me. God's not withholding from me. God's not withholding from me. Get in the rhythm. Obey. Serve. Please. Be a blessing to people. Part of your destiny. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that you're his masterpiece. That you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that were pre-planned for you before the foundation of the world. Can I I tell you, your whole life was laid out before you ever started to live it. And part of your destiny is good works. It's doing good to other people. It's being kind to other people. It's giving people what they don't deserve. It's letting them live above their obedience. It's letting them live in favor that they don't deserve. Just like you and me, we're living under the favor of God. We're living under the spout where the glory comes out. And we want to give to others. So he says this. He said, your pleasant path leads me to pleasant places. I'm overwhelmed by the privileges that come with following you. Don't ever go around and let, and let people try to define you by the difficulties of your life. All of us have difficulties. All of us have handicaps. I about died at seven years old from bone cancer. The doctors told my parents that he won't live past 20 I got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit at 17. I began to study uh, the, the Word of God, and I began to question miracles. Are they still for us today? I had to go to the library and study the early church fathers. Who, who at 19 years old is studying church fathers? Who at 19 is looking for miracles in the second century church? Because something was working in me. I didn't know death was coming to kill me again. And God, the Holy Spirit, showing me things to come, put a hunger in me and a desire to understand as a teenager. Because the church I grew up in said the miracle stopped with the last apostle. What I found out, there were miracles in the second century, the third century, the fourth century church. I was in a library where they got me this material from England and they wouldn't let me leave the Clovis library with, the, with those materials. They said, you have to stay in here. And I'm reading, and you know, a library is a quiet place. On the inside, I began to jump around. I wanted to run through that library screaming, it's real, it's real, it's real. Then I wanted to get mad. It was the weirdest emotion. 
I had tears of joy and anger coming out of me. I got angry at all the preachers that didn't tell me the truth. All the preachers that that were ignorant, that believed what they were taught in seminary was the will of God. They stopped reading their Bible and listened to people. And I began to find out that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Come on. Then I realized this. They wanted to say the, the, the power stopped at the last apostle. Well, here's the reality. The power was never the apostles. Jesus said when he was raised from the dead, he said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. The authority's in Jesus. The authority's not in a man. The authority's not in a church. The authority's not in a denomination. The authority's in Jesus Christ. And when you get Jesus, you get his authority. Wow. So, where was I? Following Jesus. I'm overwhelmed by the privileges that come with following you. For you have given me the best, not the worst, not good, the best. The way you counsel and correct me. Are you open to correction? Will you allow Jesus to correct your life? Will you allow Jesus to speak to you? Will you allow Jesus to counsel you? Will you allow him to whisper to you little areas of wisdom and counsel. What she says, he said, Lord, you counsel and correct me and it makes me praise you more for your whispers in the night give me wisdom. Everybody say, my name is Jimmy and I'll take all the wisdom you'll give me, right? Let, let God inundate your, you with wisdom. Come, let me tell you something. Wisdom is the principal thing. You get wisdom and you get understanding, buddy, and I mean, life just goes and begins to open up for you. I'm just telling you, you young people, get all the wisdom you can. Ask the older people in the room. Ask the people in the church. Ask questions. Be curious. Curiosity is the greatest innovator of wisdom that will come in your life. But too many people are concerned about looking foolish, so they ask no questions. And because they ask no questions, because they're fearful, they'll look ignorant. Can I tell you something? You're either going to look ignorant and not stay ignorant, or you're going to just stay quiet and be ignorant. Be curious. He said this. He said, through my counsel and my correction, wisdom will be given. Watch this now. He says this. Show me. Your wisdom will show me what to do next. Because you're close to me and always available. My confidence will never be shaken. Can I tell you something, young people? Confidence is so contagious. But you don't get it from being cocky. You get it from being corrected. You get it from humbling, getting low, get low, get low, get low, get low, get low. I humble myself, Lord, that you might lift me up. In due season, he'll lift you up. My destiny and its timing's in your hands. Quit wishing for another day. Be obedient today. Listen, let me, let me end this. Your, your count, your, my confidence will never be shaken for I experience your wraparound presence every moment. Your life is not an accident. It's very strategic what God's doing in your heart right now. It's very strategic. Now, some of you have been piddling around with compromise and you're off path. Repent today and get back on path.
Some of you have not been compromising. Some of you have been in unbelief. And the Lord's saying, come on back in here. Come on back and trust my love and kindness and tender mercies. Trust my goodness for your life. Trust me. He wants so much more good for us than we want. He qualified each one of us to share in his inheritance. We didn't qualify ourselves. Can I tell you, what, the only thing that can disqualify you is your unbelief or your flat-out hard-headed disobedience. You're going to just be hard-headed and say, no. If I had a woman look at me who was, who was tormented. She was tormented at night. She was tormented during the day. And when we got down to it, her daughter, her, her adult daughter brought me into the home with another minister in another community. We were there ministering to her and she was so tormented, gang. Nightmares every night. Had to, had to take sleeping pills just to be able to get off to sleep. And the bottom, the bottom, the, the thing that was hindering her, she's a Christian. The thing that was hindering her was she would not forgive. She looked at me and she said, I'd rather go to hell than forgive my children. Well, hell you get. You're going to live in a living hell the rest of your life as a Christian. You may have eternal life, but you don't have abundant life. I don't know where you are. God wants to make an adjustment inside your soul today. But you have to permit it and say, Lord, I place myself on the potter's wheel. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.